Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 342 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 20th, 2014. Wow, getting close to Halloween, getting close to November, kind of crazy. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Homecoming for USC, taking care of business against Colorado, 56-28. to we got Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde going to share their thoughts on the game and a lot of your questions we're going to get to and answer them for you. If you have any questions for us, we always love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or call at 206-888-6755 or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and live a voicemail right on your computer. All right, we want to bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great today, man. Uh, in first place in the South, USC, and uh, control their own destiny. And uh, wow, what a destiny that is! It's gonna, I hope you have enough tank uh, gas in the tank, but it's going to be one that uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be one that's very challenging. And of course, uh, the homecoming crowd got a real treat in the victory uh, against um, Colorado, 56 to 28. I think that game came around just at the right time as far as getting things together, deciding who they are, establishing who they want to be, uh, Kessler breaking the record, uh, being very optimistic, everybody. But there's still questions here and there. There always will be questions. Would you try to be a 100% uh, thorough on everything you do, but that just doesn't happen. But uh, that's why we're here, to discuss those. And remember, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. And also, this is just our opinion. Certainly is, Coach. And if you want to see more of Coach's opinion, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. At Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. And wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. Or you can go give them a call at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Got some Thursday night Cal game coming up. USC, of course, the Notre Dame game. You can go to SCTickets.com and, and they will take care of you. And, uh, Coach, we had an interesting question from Jay. I kind of give give you a little open uh, forum to talk about it. Because this game was on the Pac-12 network, he said, how was the game that nobody saw? What are your overall impressions on both sides of the ball? And how about officiating? Uh, so that's from Jay. Very open-ended there, but maybe can I give your thoughts? Well, you know, I opened the show yesterday on our Trojan Brunch by saying that. Uh, for all of you that listened to the ESPN broadcast for the first time, thank you very much for joining us as far as on the pregame and also the game broadcast, because there is a certain percentage of Trojan fans that, can't, that don't have the Pac-12 network. I had so many people call me during the game and say, hey, I can't find it on my TV. What channel is it, Coach? What channel is it, Coach? Well, on my TV, I couldn't find it either, so I had to go over to my friend's house and watch it there. So ESPN had a lot new, a lot of new listeners, and it's very difficult. It's very, uh, say, upsetting that you cannot watch USC uh, nationally or on DirecTV if you have that service. And it's uh, very inconvenient. And uh, I think there's got to be a way of taking care of this. I think 
I don't know if it's Larry Scott on his side of it that's very stubborn, or if DirecTV says, hey, here's what we're offering, take it or leave it. But it's one of those things I think that's got to get worked out because you're hurting the Pac-12 network, or the Pac-12 in itself, by not having the exposure. You've got to have the exposure as far as trying to get and prove to the nation that the Pac-12 is one of the top conferences in America and uh, can battle it with anyone. And they've got to be able to see this. When you think about, uh, Ryan, how many games have been decided on the last play or field goal or made field goal or missed field goal, three Hail Marys, uh, you go down through it and you take a look at the Pac-12, man, it's just balanced. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And these are exciting football games that people certainly deserve to see. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that uh, the listener uh, has a valid, valid point. I've been talking about it the whole time. You know I have. I'm not a big fan of it not being on uh, DirecTV, but that's my service. And I don't see any headway towards getting it done. So I think uh, Larry Scott is somewhat stubborn on this and, I don't know where the future is going to be with this, but they certainly better get this worked out, or I'm going to fire another uh, fire another one of my mess- my messages. <laughs> um, and it, you know, uh, we had another Eric. Uh, he said Eric in Georgia, who's fight on in Georgia on the message boards. He said I wasn't able to watch the game either. Thanks Pac-12 Network, but that's a totally different question for another day. But I saw the score. Was our defense good enough? If Colorado scored 28 points, are they really? And they really are not that good. What is a good team going to score on us? Have you seen any growth on our defense? Thanks. I love the show. And that's Eric in Georgia. Eric, uh, I've seen some progress. I think they're sort of conservative on the defensive side of the football. I'd like to see them be more aggressive. I, I, I'm the type of guy that likes to keep them guessing on offense by attacking by saying, oh, I better not call this play because they might bring the safety or they might bring the linebacker. Uh, as soon as I noticed uh, during the game that they were not, it was not in their game plan to run the quarterback, which has really hurt USC. They did run the quarterback uh, in, with the backup quarterback, who I thought looked pretty good in the second half. I would have gone after the guy. Not all the time, not all the time, but keep him guessing. Are they coming or aren't they coming? Show it and come and show it and don't come. And what I like about that, Ryan, is that gets on film. So you can coach it as a defensive coach. You put it in your meetings. You show everybody with the little red light that this is what you did right, this is what you did wrong. So when you need to do this and you're going to do it, you can coach off of it against an opponent. And that film gets passed around throughout the Pac-12, and all your opponents get it, Notre Dame, everybody else. So they say they can do this and they do that and maybe they'll do this against us and so on. So they have to prepare for more. So I think when you have a chance to be aggressive and do those things, you should do it. Now, as far as the defense this past weekend, we if I'd have been Colorado, I would have tacked them like they did through the passing game. And I would have also, they ran the football. They ran the football in the second half pretty successfully. I would have also utilized the quarterback and carrying the football on bootleg keeps and the, the read option and kept the ball because teams have hurt USC not only in the past, but now, like Boston College with Murray, as far as in that type of situation. So I don't think Colorado really utilized what they possibly should have done against USC. 
But again, when you win a big game, 56 to 28, uh, you've got to be satisfied with the victory. It came at the right time. You have to establish who you are. But I don't think the defense is what you might call intimidating. Uh, when an offense gets prepared for it, when you do your game plans, it isn't like, oh, my God, what are we going to run against these guys? It, it's not an intimidating type of defense. Yet when you look at the program overall, and you look what ASU did to Stanford, USC had ASU beat with, with two minutes to go by nine points. And ASU blows out Stanford. Really, Stanford didn't, have, didn't even have a shot in that game for people who watch it. They had yeah. like 20 or 30 yards rushing. In the first half, is ASU that good? Or is Stanford dropped down as far as how good they are? And then again, that loss at Boston College. Boston College was 4-2 and two and lost 17-14 to 14 to Clemson this weekend. So they've lost two, two games by what, 10 points or whatever. So, you know, this is what people are thinking about. What if we'd have done this? What if we'd have done that? But uh, as far as the defensive side of the football, I don't think it's intimidating. Let me just put it to you that way. Um, you know what? We met a couple of questions mentioned the Pac-12 Network, and I should uh, let you know that uh, the Pac-12 announced that the Washington State game for USC on November 1st will be a 1.30 start, and it will also be on the Pac-12 Network. So that's one that USC fans can't go to the Coliseum for. It's way up there in Pullman, not, not likely to go make that one as far as a road trip goes, and it's also on the Pac-12 Network. Are you kidding me? When did they announce that? Today? Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Monday morning. They just ruined my week. <laughs> Sorry, Coach. They, I don't mean to ruin anything for you. I mean, really. I mean, isn't that something? Uh, that, that I mean, first of all, the exposure for USC nationally, for the Pac-12 nationally, to see a great game against a team that's going to throw the ball 70 times or whatever, and a team that beat USC last year, Half of the people that are USC fans probably won't watch this game unless they go to somebody's house. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I just think it's ridiculous. They couldn't wait to announce that. They announce all the games I know a week in advance or whatever. But my goodness, what other game? I don't know what other games are that weekend, but I know they probably have the last choice of games or whatever. But my, I, I, been, I was hoping the entire season that we they might not be on at all but I, there must be some type of punishment that they give each team <laughs> in the conference that you've got to be on the Pac-12 network and and that's your punishment for the, the television for the year yeah maybe I don't know but that's uh yeah bad news there um this one's from Mart and I, I thought this was interesting because I listened to your Trojan Brunch show and I know you guys had a very different opinion on this and I I do too but I wanted to get your thoughts on this question from Mart how uh, would you play Chris Hawkins? He's talking about USC quarterback Chris Hawkins. He just keeps getting penalties after penalties. Uh, is what What's wrong with his technique, or is he just that bad? Uh, Mart wants to know what do you think about Chris Hawkins. Well, you know, uh, it was a unique discussion we had yesterday morning with uh, Pete Arbogast on the show. I think, you know, I did not pick a defensive player of the week, if you were listening to that show. I felt, hey, if I'm going to pick a defensive player of the week, that person had to stand out. Or I'd say, hey, he made big plays, he led the defense, this, that, and so on. I didn't pick a defensive player of the week. Pete Arbogast, if he was going to pick one, he says he was going to pick Chris Hawkins. I don't know how many of you listen to that show, but it's every Sunday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. on uh, ESPN. Uh, Chris had uh, seven solo tackles, two assists, nine total tackles for the game. Uh, and uh, 
you know, Anthony Serrao had six six for a total of twelve tackles on the year. They had four sacks in the game, but I didn't think anyone really dominated that much. They held out uh, Leonard Williams. I think he only played fifty four plays. Super Craven they held out too, which I think was smart, giving other players uh, an opportunity to play and and keep them healthy. Uh, I, I I like Chris Hawkins. I think he's a great kid. I thought in the second half, and I don't like to be negative, but I thought he missed some tackles. Uh, he has had a lot of uh, pass interference calls uh, this year. Um, he is starting for his first time. I'm trying to say all the reasons why I can go through this with him. He registered last year. Maybe he's trying too hard. Maybe sometimes players need to be pampered a little bit and not put in pressure situations, and sometimes you're forced to put players in uh, pressure situations, but you have no one else. Uh, I'd like to see him uh, play better, uh, and and I think he needs to play better. Let me put it to you that way. I'm not going to criticize him as an athlete or an individual. I'm going to say what everyone else saw that watched the game that he did uh, not settle up. He did miss some tackles, and uh, I think he can play better. I think that's the best way of putting it, Brian. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought he. Yeah, I thought he did play better in that game, like you said. And you know, he's a, you know, he's a young kid, and he's he's learning as he goes, and he's thrown into a situation. So we'll we'll see how he does. But I thought the secondary played better overall. You didn't see the kind of penalties that you saw before. So we'll see uh, what they do against Utah on the road. That'll definitely be a tough test. Um, Tarek had a question, Coach. He said, Sua Craven's done a great job this year as an outside linebacker. Do you see him gaining 10 to 15 pounds in the offseason staying there, or do you see him going back to safety and letting a Jabari Ruffin or Quentin Powell man that spot? That's Tarek. Well, uh, I don't know what their plans are for him. Uh, He's a kid that could play either. I think he's got a great sense to the football. He's got a great feel to the football. When you see him uh, pinch down and make those uh, behind-the-line minus-yard tackles, he he goes to the football well. He intercepts the ball. He uh, tips the ball away. He's got a sense. He makes the break on the ball. He reads it well. He's, he's He's a football player. He's really a football player. I think he's the type of kid that'll play wherever you want him to play. Uh... And I don't know who or what their plans are for what position. But you've got to have athletes playing, playing outside linebackers, especially with these keeps. And you're going to see that when they come up and play some of these other teams like this next week uh, against Utah. Guys that run their quarterbacks, you better have somebody on them that's athletes that, that can handle them. Otherwise, you're in trouble. I think Quentin Powell's a, a great athlete. I think he's a little undersized, as coaches, as coaches say he is. But he's a 100% football player. I mean, this kid's a football player. He runs at a football. He had a uh, punt return saving tackle two weeks ago against Arizona State. Got great team speed. I wouldn't mind bringing him off the edge on passing situations where you just bring him up the field where tackles can't even get to him. Force the quarterback to step up and hope the inside rush gets him. Uh, or put him in a linebacker spot and let him come. You don't want to get tendencies, of course, but in the definite passing situation, you can put him in and let him go. Uh, I know he has to gain weight to play linebacker 
next year and have an off-season program where he does do that. I don't know what their plans are with Suva Craven are, but let me put it to you this way. He's a great athlete, can play both, and he's a type of kid that will play where he's needed. So I would think either spot would suit me, and it would depend, as you always hear me say this, you always hear me say this, get your players on the field. I've, I've been saying the whole time, get your players on the field. And uh, don't have them watch or alternate them. Have them play the whole game if you need them to play the whole game. Everybody else's players play the whole game. Whole game. Did you see Florida State Notre Dame game? Were they rotating players? They weren't rotating many players. They had their players on the field. That's a battle. That's a war. And I think uh, SC sometimes, or USC, excuse me, that's the proper term. I think USC sometimes makes excuses for the number of athletes they have on scholarship. And I don't think you've got you to gotta quit talking about that. You've got to get better backup football players that if you do rotate, these guys can play. So uh, I think that's where they have to go. And, of course, this is their worst year, I think, as far as the number-wise. Because I explained this on the pregame show and yesterday a little bit. The 30 players you don't have on your roster now are playing against you. And many of those players are players that would play for you because you wouldn't have offered them a scholarship and you would have offered them a scholarship. They're all in the league playing against you somewhere. They'd have been on your roster. And uh, if you had them, the other team wouldn't be as good. Plus, they're better and they're playing against you. So that's where the numbered. Uh, problem, I believe, hurts you the most rather than, you know, the numbers as far as just on the sideline. Makes sense, Coach. And I uh, I heard you saying at the show that totally makes, you know, I, I don't think it's an excuse at the end of the game like some people have talked about. Um, but, yeah, all right, we'll see going forward. They're going to build those numbers back up, and we won't have to talk about sections anymore. But that's going to be a little while away. So um, Melvin had a question, though, when you're talking about a game that's out of hand, uh, you know, fourth quarter, up by four touchdowns. Do you think it was a good idea to keep Cody Kessler in to break the record versus giving Max Brown some quality time at quarterback? That's from Melvin. Well, uh, I think you owe something to both players. First of all, I think you owe Cody the opportunity to do that if he can do that, okay? That's making history. Also, you owe it to... Max Brown to play. I, I think that if you ask Max Brown, and this is what I would do on the sideline, Max, I want to put you in there. Should we let Cody go for it? Max Brown would have said, let Cody go for it. I really believe that. That's how team members are. How would he have sounded if he said, no, I want to play the hell with the record? So, I think Max wanted him to play. Now, what's best for the team? Probably best for the team. It would have been better for Max to get more reps. But what would have, what would we all be saying? Not me, but a whoever the media saying they pulled him out. He had a chance to break the record. Blah 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 blah. That's just another storyline. Okay. So, I would have asked both quarterbacks on the sideline, "What do you think?" Max would have said, "I know. Let him try to break it." and then I'll play the rest of the game. Now, I really think what they should have done with Max when he was in the game is give him more of an opportunity to be a quarterback. 
don't just run the football. I mean, give him an opportunity to throw the ball down the field. That's what he does the best. He's a great long ball passer, man. Ought to come in, done a play action on the first down, and let him try to hit the receivers down the field for a touchdown. Look at the confidence that you build. And I don't call that pointed on. Everybody was talking about sports. Peter Arbogast was talking about sportsmanship. Sportsmanship is sportsmanship. That's dirty football and not playing dirty football. Giving an opportunity for my players to get better, they work so hard in the spring and the fall that when they go in, I'm not going to limit them on what they can run or do. That's like telling the defense, don't tackle them because it's not good sportsmanship. Let them score. Well, if I put my offensive guys in there, I'm going to give them an opportunity to do well so I can grade them on the field. So I think you've got to allow those guys to really feel good about themselves when they get in there and just say, oh, yeah, same old run, same old run, same old run. And I would have really let him lay it out, man. I would have called a couple of good routes. They would have never possibly expected it. And uh, give him a chance to build up his confidence and the receivers to get used to catching his ball. But you've been to practice as much as I have, Ryan, or more. You're there every day. So he does throw the ball well, and he has a lot of confidence in that. And you've got to continue that on because if something was to happen to Cody, this kid's got to be ready to play. No, I agree. And uh, it's a tough – it's tough for Steve Sarkeesian. We talked about him in his conference call. He has to make the decisions where if you bring people out and, you know, then you start losing, then you have to bring someone back in. He doesn't want to have to do that. So he wanted to make sure that they had the game in hand. And he said it's a lot easier now than even it was 10 years ago in college football to come back from three or four touchdowns down. So he, in his mind, he's still worried about winning the game. And I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I agree 100%. In the third quarter and towards the end of the game, I said, hey, this game's not over with. They started moving the football up and down the field. I said, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. And uh, I wouldn't have substituted either. I I, I thought they started to close the gap, and I was was really worried. I really was worried there for a while. But I'm always worried. You know, coaches used to say, coach, it's time to substitute. I said, not yet. I used to always have that feeling because I've seen teams come back and get this and beat us. You got to make sure the money's in the bank, Okay. Got to make sure the money's in the bank before you substitute. You really do. And uh, a lot of people are calling for substitutions, especially parents say, I want my kids in the game and have to fight the media on that. Or, but you got to make sure, especially today, the way it is. And he'll never forget the Arizona State game. That, that'll go to his grave with him, okay? So he's got that in his mind, too. Yeah, it's hard to. It wasn't, he doesn't want to see a collapse at the end of the game. So you can see why he would be gun shy. Um, Chris called in and he had a, a pretty long call. We, I'm sorry, Chris, we're not going to play the whole thing on the air, but he had a couple points. And one of them I wanted to bring up was, what do you think? Is there any correlation that we only threw three passes to the sideline, getting a total of one yard, but had our best offensive performance overall? So that was Chris calling in, wanted to get your thoughts on the offense. Well, you know, uh, and I'll give you, you guys probably get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it. I know you do, Ryan, because you probably listened to the pregame show or Sunday show. But for you that haven't listened, that maybe you're out of state or out of country, you can't have 50 stars on your football team or 10 stars on offense or four stars on offense. you got to have one star. And, you, and the star at USC on offense is Buck Allen. He's the guy. He's the man. And you've got to, and the rest of the team got to understand that everything we do comes off of Buck Allen. 
We're going to dominate. This is our guy, and then the defensive coordinators are going to say, we got to stop Buck Allen if we're going to win this football game. Now, from having a star, other stars arise, just like this past weekend. Look at the number of touchdown passes. I mean, seven touchdown passes. That isn't by accident. That's because they're starting to fear and no Buck Allen's in the backfield. They can run the football. you got to run the football to win. And then you look at the receivers. Aguilar, you know, he caught three touchdowns. Uh, Juju Smith got a touchdown. Bryce Dixon got two touchdowns. Stevie Mitchell caught a touchdown. And these are coming off of people thinking run first and then pass. And they weren't all sideline passes. They threw for the first time cross patterns, seam patterns, post patterns, post corner patterns. Uh, they, they ran one was a post corner, post cap pattern for a touchdown, which was great, set up the defensive back. Uh, so the number one guy has got to be Allen. Now when you have a philosophy that who the number one guy is, and when you think of Oregon, who's the number one guy? Mariotta. When you think of now Dallas Cowboys, who's the number one guy? Is it Romo or is it uh, Murray. the running back? DeMarco Murray, yeah. Yeah, who is it? It's DeMarco Murray. Yeah. It's a guy. And they're all that's why they're successful this year, because they gotta stop the man and then the passing him. All of a sudden Romo looks like he's all pro this year. Because it's DeMarco Murray. Terrell Davis when he was with Denver. John Elway never won a Super Bowl until Terrell Davis was there. All of a sudden it was Terrell Davis. So USC is in the same type of situation. Make Allen the man. Cody Kessler fits that type of offense. And then all your other stars will develop from it. So you've got to remember that. And I also said, and I'll say it again, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, and you noticed in this game, I don't know who's listening. As far as listening, I said it last week, you're running from a pistol where he can go towards the line of scrimmage full speed. He runs the daylight, find the seam, hit the seam, and go. They did the same thing with Justin Davis. You've got to be able to do that to give this kid an opportunity to find the seam. Then out of that, you saw them run uh, like a bootleg turn-on action. They threw for a touchdown. And also, if you saw the power play when he was in a weak set or a strong set come back towards the wide side of the field, that was a highlight film drawn up just like you drew it up in the chalk talks with the guards bowling. 37 or 42-yard touchdown by Buck Allen. Absolutely fantastic. And you ran it. If you're in the middle of the field, you run either way. If you're on the, you run it to the wide side, you don't run it. Basically, the short side, you don't want to run the short side. Those are all defensive guys. The sidelines are all defensive guys. So you want to make people cover the field on your great athletes where you have space to be able to beat them. And that was a beautiful play. So uh, I keep saying this, and I will continue to say this, and you'll see this, I hope, happen. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna develop the man into being the man. And if he is the man and they continue doing that the rest of the year, if he continues his pace, he has a good chance to go to New York. Um, all right. We've got a couple more for you. Dennis said, uh, this is Ryan. I mean, he said, hey, Ryan, this is Dennis from Lancaster. Always like the old school uniforms and helmets we, we have. Uh, but I must admit that the new helmets look great. What did you guys think about them? And do you see some uniform changes in the future? 
Well, my feeling was uh, I was against it, as you know, if you've been listening. I'm against change, period. But, you know, when I was watching the game, and I, well, on the Pac-12 network, it isn't very bright, so you really can't tell the difference. But uh, I didn't notice the helmets for a while. Never noticed it until somebody told me, oh, those are the new helmets. On TV, you really couldn't tell the difference that much. So the kids was, Steve Sarkeesian, or the kids seemed to be excited about it. I know most of the traditionalists and, and people didn't believe in it because it leads to more change. You know that. You, you give an inch and you get, and then they want a mile. That's what happens. And uh, just like the black socks and the home uniform and the helmet, then it'll be the jersey, then it'll be the pants, and then you'll have five or six different uniforms you're wearing. Uh, I have been one that says no number on the back. They'll find out who you are if you play well. They'll look in the program and recognize your number. Can't see it anyway from the stands. It's too far away. Uh, I've been one that when you look at most of the great traditional football programs, they don't change. You come to USC because you want to be a Trojan. You want to knock somebody off the ball. If you don't come to USC because you don't change your helmets, I'd say, man, we don't want you. This, I'm just old school. So you go somewhere else and, and we'll beat your butt. Uh, but, you know, times are different. Maybe I don't fit these times that way. But a lot of the listeners will say I'm crazy what I'm doing. Oh, okay. So they made the change. They were successful. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that makes a difference in the game, whether you win or lose. To me, I don't think so. I think they just still won with the same score with the old helmets. But uh, that's what's happening. And, and you give a little bit, and everything else changes too. Um, all right. We got one last one for you. Coach Marcel wrote in, and he said, Pete Carroll's first year at USC, he was 6-6 six and six and lost in the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, although social media wasn't as big back then, I don't remember alumni uh, loudly calling for him to be fired or for any of his coaches to be fired. If Pete Carroll was hired today, I don't know if he could please the USC fan base. USC should never have allowed Lendell White on the sidelines after his comments last week, and he was talking about comments about firing Justin Wilcox uh, after the Arizona game. He said, I strongly believe his comments hurt USC more than help, and that's a tragedy. I'm not a fan of what the defense is doing either, but it's only year one for this coaching staff. Firing coaches every two years will not bring us back to our championship ways while dealing with the NCAA. Fight on from Marcel. Thank you. Well, let's discuss this and try to be non-emotional and look at the whole picture. First of all, I can remember when Pete Carroll played in the Las Vegas Bowl, played Utah, couldn't rush the football against USC, and lost that football game, and people were all over his butt. Okay? I didn't think things were too comfortable for Pete Carroll. But he came back, changed the program, had a great staff, had a great staff, he went out and did great recruiting, and turned the program. But he turned the program during a period of time when Oregon was in Oregon. Washington State was Washington State. Washington was Washington. Arizona, Arizona State aren't the same type of programs that they are today. So it was a little easier. 
to turn it around. And he wasn't on sanctions at that time. So he did a great job, did a great, great job when he came in and did what he did with a great staff and great players. Uh, today, yes, there is more media. There's blogs. There's like this podcast. There's columns. There's, oh, I mean, the newspapers. They cover what the kids are doing in the hotels, what they're doing on the sidelines, what they're doing with their girlfriends, what they're doing everywhere. I mean, it's a whole different media uh, coverage. I agree 100% on that. I don't know if I like it. I think there's got to be a little privacy in a football program of what you say in the locker room or what you say to your kids or what you whisper in someone's ear at the end of the game. Now, I haven't seen the quotes, but someone told me that when the Florida State-Notre Dame game was over with, Brian Kelly grabbed Winston, put him up next to him really close, and whispered some things in his ear. Well, somebody picked that up, or somebody had their mic there, and listened to the whole thing, and then put it right on the TV screen later on. Every single word. Now, luckily, he didn't say anything. But what if he just said something really that was personal? There's nothing personal anymore. Unless you, you go into your desk and search for any type of microphones or something, you talk to a kid or a family. So I think it's gone a little bit too far as far as the coverage of those type of things. And I, you might disagree, which you should. It's just my opinion. And as far as the Lindell White situation, uh, him texting that out is what uh, an emotional thing for a kid who's looking for recognition. And if... Uh, You'd have said it, which you probably did, and you mentioned in your questions you weren't happy with the play on the defense. When I read the papers after the Boston College game, everybody sort of said they weren't happy with the defense. When I uh, read the paper after the Arizona State game and TV and everything else and sports talk shows, people said they didn't like the defense. There's no adjustment. So Lindell White says it, and it's different because he's a former player. And you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's something that probably he wouldn't do it again, but he did it in an act of emotion. Now, are we going to take him out in front of a firing squad? I don't think so. I think the kid's got to learn from these type of things and, and uh, didn't destroy the program like you said it probably hurt the program. It probably didn't do any good to the program, I'm going to tell you that. But I don't know how many people heard that. More people read it in the Times or watched ESPN or whatever and saw it. So I'm more a little bit more passionate towards the player type of side on that. Now, as far as him being on the sideline, the way I understand it, he had a credential, sideline pass. So someone issued that to him. So if they didn't want him there, they shouldn't have issued him a sideline pass. So someone didn't feel what he said was bad enough or they didn't feel it to give him a sideline pass. That's why I look at it. I don't give him a sideline pass. Somebody gave it to him. and they, They'd have heard that, that he's still on the sideline. As far as what happened on the sideline, what happened from then on, I don't know. That was between what I've read in the papers or heard people say, that issue thing between Pat Hayden and, and being escorted off the field or 
not allowed in the tunnel or whatever that I don't know. I can't say that. But uh I think there's a time and place for everything and if he was not supposed to be in certain areas on the field, he shouldn't be in certain areas on the field. And I think those should be enforced. If it's one good enough for one player, it's good enough for all the players. And if that's what the sideline rules are, and you've heard me say on the podcast, I don't think everybody should be on the sideline within the 35-yard lines with the team. I don't care if you're an ex-player or anybody, booster or anybody. You're, you're, you're at work. You're at work. All of you have businesses. Do you allow people to come in your office when you're selling somebody an insurance policy and, or something? No, it's a job. They've got to, they can't be distracted. I'm not for the towel waving. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not for any of that stuff. So as far as what happened regarding Lindell White, that's how I feel. All right. Well, great stuff, Coach. I know you don't want to talk about it too much, but thanks for uh, getting into it and uh, answering all the questions. USC is going on the road for Utah next. It should be a really interesting show next week. But thanks for again coming and talking about USC Colorado. Ryan, thank you very much. And to all of you out there, thank you very much for being a part of our show. We appreciate your questions. and. And uh, have a great week. All right. Thank you, Coach. And we're going to be back in a minute talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh man, what's wrong? It's my marketing guy, I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who was at the Coliseum on Saturday uh, afternoon, evening with myself watching the game. And uh, Cody Kessler ends up throwing seven touchdown passes, a record, and Dan, one of the interesting things, over 25% of his passes ended up being touchdown passes. That's not too bad. No, I mean, that's, uh, you know, if you want to be explosive, uh, throw the ball down the field. Uh, they did all that. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, the receivers were part of that, to say the least. Uh, some just unbelievably great catches. And uh, guys were, uh, you know, looking to take the ball to that. You didn't see a lot of catches with guys with their backs to the, uh, you know, the end zone. Uh, you know, I mean, I think some of the drop balls, for example, in previous weeks, you saw guys, you know, turned around facing the uh, quarterback and then having to try to wheel and, and, and make plays. Nelson, a couple of times that he's dropped balls. And uh, this week, guys are basically catching the ball in stride uh, much more. And, you know, you can say 
oh, that's a determination. You're going to, you know, do this. You're going to do it. But it's also a matter of patterns and how you're getting, you know, people open and where, you know, where you're delivering the ball to them and that. So I think it was a, a change of philosophy all the way around, you know, including the coaches uh, in terms of how that got done. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the challenge to the, you know, the players, to Cody, to make it happen was part of it, but uh, there was a lot more going on than just uh, just that. Now, we uh, were talking a little bit before, and we listened to Steve Sarkeesian talk on the conference call uh, Sunday night, and I, you'd mentioned something to me that I kind of came into my head. I didn't really form the thought all around it, though, but uh, he talked about, you know, everyone was talking about this is going to be a high tempo, you know, run 105 plays against Fresno State. But the feeling I got from him talking was that he can run, he can go fast sometimes. You don't have to go fast all the time. And and I was thinking to myself, like, it seems like he's backing away from the the high tempo stuff a little bit. And you kind of, maybe get your thoughts on that too, if that's what you felt and, and where you think the the number of plays and all that stuff is going for this team. Well, it's interesting. I did, I asked him the question about uh, in the four games since Fresno where you had 105 plays and that just, you kind of throw that one out. Uh, the four wins since uh, Fresno, they've averaged 67 and a half plays. The two losses, they averaged uh, 82 and a half plays. Now, Sark says, well, uh, he said, yeah, I don't want to dispute those numbers or argue with them, whatever, but he said, he wants to he wants to count the uh, Arizona State game <laughs> as almost a win, and they ran 95 plays in that game. So he said that would throw your numbers off, and he, he's right. You know they did they did play the up tempo almost all the way, but then you know does that contribute to you know what happened in the last few minutes? I I don't know, but uh, you know they're they're looking very comfortable. I mean they ran 61 plays Saturday and scored 56 points. I think I'd take that probably uh, almost any day of the week if you can get, you know, who needs to be up-tempo. I mean, and the question I said was, you know, it looks like you're becoming, instead of it was going to be a many-play team, uh, a lots-of-play team, and now you're going to be a big-play team. Uh, And, you know, he's kind of admitting that, yeah, maybe a little bit of that, and he's doing more. Uh, slowing him down, he said he he called it a business decision, where he he on the sideline and he can say we can go fast, the 10 to 13 seconds between plays, or we don't have to, and he said I'll, I'll make a business decision about when we don't have to, and he clearly uh, you know made that decision Saturday night that you keep putting points on the board, and as he said he'd much rather because it's too hard to run off 12-play drives and, you know, 18-play drives. And he said, you're much better off getting it in chunks and, and, and really, uh, you know, getting a, getting an explosive play, getting a 75-yard, you know, touchdown play or getting a two-play drive. Um, he said, that's, uh, that's the way to go. You do that, maybe, you, you know, you don't want to go real fast. Uh, if you're putting points on the board, uh, do you need to keep going fast and, and having your defense have to go out there and uh, play an awful lot of plays? Uh, one of the other top subjects he had, Dan, was about uh, getting subs into the game at the end of the you know at the end of the game when it's a you know the, it's kind of a blowout. Maybe share some of his thoughts on he got you know maybe some people felt he got like uh, Cody Kessler out of the game a little late and some of the starters were playing late into the game. And get, what do you what did he say about that? 
So he said he makes an individual decision. Uh, he's not going to do it as a you know uh, an entire team, and that uh, he's still going to make it based on uh, you know who does he want to develop, how does he want to develop them. Although they'll also make decisions on uh, uh, how many plays has the guy played. Leonard Williams played uh, b- 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 94 plays against Arizona, 54 Saturday night. Uh, I think uh, Anthony Sorrell still played 81 plays Saturday night and over 100 against Arizona. So, and he said that's not ideal. They don't want that to happen. So they're watching these guys play, the number of plays, and he can tell you how many plays and how many special teams plays each of these guys uh, you know, are, are taking part in. And so they're actually paying very close attention to that. Uh, and as the season goes along, I think you have to you know, pay – pay even more attention to it so it's another reason you would think uh if they get the chance they're going to slow this down i think one of the things he says though he would like teams to know that usc can go fast if they have to forcing you to prepare uh for a team that might go fast against you so yeah i can't disagree with any of that i think the, the thing for me him you know the old high school football coach and me uh, with the numbers, and I really like that they haven't used the numbers as an excuse, even though they do tell us every game how many uh, recruited scholarship players are available. Uh, it's really hard to practice at that tempo uh, week after week after week. And the problem I've got is if you don't practice at that tempo, I'm not sure how well you can play at that tempo. So if you're going to go away from doing it in practice because they're being more and more, you know, uh, not doing quite as much in practice because of numbers and because of, you know, hoping that the season extends as far as it can possibly extend. Uh, I think the decision's almost made for you that you can't go. I know the uh, goal was to go uh, 80 plays a game average. I think the decision is made you probably can't quite go, go that many. Now, hopefully, if you have to do it on, on a you know, particular game, you can but uh, uh, I'm thinking they're going to they're gonna slow this thing down uh, a little bit and hope they get the big plays to make up for it. Uh, well, let's jump into some of the questions we have, Dan, about the game. And we're going to start with a hard-hitting one. I'm going to warn you, this is a uniform question. <laughs> Jeff, uh-uh. Jeff, Jeff in Orange County, uh, he says, Hi, guys. I think, I think the new helmets look great. No major changes, just the shine is nice and up-tempo with the rest of the conference. The face masks are a bit bling-bling, though, and would recommend going back to flat gray. Glad no black on the helmet, jerseys, except for the socks. What worries me is the coaching staff. Have they gone completely black or gray with small cardinal and and gold SC logo? Too much like the basketball team. Who picks out the color style selection for the coaches? Is there any connection to the the, the fashion sold at the bookstore or online catalog? Only the hardest-hitting questions we want to start with, Dan. So what do you, what yeah, do you think about I, that? You know, I, I do think there might be a connection with, with the bookstore and the catalogs. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's Nike. Uh, and Nike knows what they're doing, and they know they can sell that black stuff. And uh, I, I think fashion-wise, that's probably an easier sell to the general public. Uh, and so I can, I can understand that, you know, with me, I always thought it was easy for USC, you know, guys to wear khaki, uh, you know, khaki coaching pants and, uh, and a Cardinal shirt. 
and that was always fine with me. I, I would not have had to go away from that. Wouldn't have wanted to go away from that. Probably wouldn't have go. Wouldn't go there. Uh, I'm not really that pleased with the black socks. I think the you know black shoes are fine, and that's got that you know classic conservative look. Uh, but white socks uh, and, and it balances it out better. Those black socks uh, I think ruin the look uh, of those you know classic uniforms. As far as I'm concerned, uh, I think they. They basically should wear the white socks, and they wear them on the road, and they balance out against the white jerseys, and they look really good. I just think that it, you know the white socks probably ought to, ought, to, ought to be at home with the black you know black shoes, and uh, that's how I go. My take on the helmets probably is this: I think the the bright shiny cardinal is very hard to match up against the car the regular cardinal jersey at home. So then you've got. As, as good a job as they did in getting it cardinal and getting it just really bright cardinal and not exactly changing the color, you still can't match it up when it's right next to the cardinal jersey. It's just different materials, and they're not going to look the same. To me, the, the, the bright cardinal helmet probably looks better uh, with the road uniform. We haven't seen it. We don't know if they're going to use it in the road, but uh, then you don't have to match it up because you've got a white jersey next to it. Uh, whereas the flat color, you know, classic USC helmets do match up, I think, perfectly with the Cardinal jerseys at home. But that's just that's just my take. As I uh, always like uh, talking about uniforms, and uh, I do pay attention to them. And, uh, and I think USC's done a good job in not and not going too far. Although I think the I think the Black Sox have kind of taken it away from the USC look a little bit. Yeah, the the feedback I got, I talked tried to talk to as many people as I could, and most people seem to like the helmets. But there was a thing with the matching that helmet to the regular jersey. They didn't want to see the jersey change, but it, it was hard to match. It's kind of like what you were saying there. Yeah, I think it's impossible with two different textures. You know, with the the you know the the plastic and the helmets and uh, and the material and the and the jerseys. I just don't think there's any way you can match that exactly. Uh, although you know, they've always, you didn't ever notice that with the flat, with the old helmets. I just think uh, you can't get that kind of brightness uh, in a fabric that you can, in the, you know, in the helmet because you're getting the reflection off the, you know, the sunlight or the, the, the stadium lights or whatever. You're, you, there's, there's an extra color there. So uh, against a white jersey, that wouldn't, that wouldn't come off as uh, not quite a mask, whereas it does with, I'm not even sure if anybody even thought about that. And I hadn't actually thought about it until I saw them. And you realize as good a job as they did, it doesn't quite match. Yeah, that's an interesting because we got to see the helmets before, but we didn't get to see them really like matched up with the uniform. So that's why we kind of got to see those for the first time. Um, all right, David Orange County had a question. And since we were talking about getting guys in playing off the bench, uh, he's just I'm just thinking how the coaches always say, get the best players on the field. Is there any chance that USC is or would consider moving Quentin Powell to strong safety, uh, especially against a running team, or is his speed way too slow to play the position? He could have helped a lot against Boston College, don't you think? I really like this kid and would hate to see him get buried in the depth chart uh, due to the lack of weight. He's not sure why he isn't gaining weight. He's 6'2", 200 pounds or so, right? Isn't that great for a, a strong safety side? He's third on the depth chart. As a linebacker, and uh, with great more great players coming in in 2015, 
he could fall even deeper. From challenging for a starting job to the third spot, what went wrong? Never got a real answer with him. That's David in Orange County. Well, I don't know that. I mean, I think, you know, they clearly wanted him. They want him at you know, minimum 220. Uh, I think they'd like him at, you know, 225 if they could. Uh, I think that's one of the places where the transition from last year to this year uh, some guys kind of got, you know, got missed. And I don't know that they quite appreciated his ability in games and making plays. And, uh, you know, you don't do that much tackling and running down people in practice. And so I think they missed on him. Uh, now at least they've got him. He's, he's doing more special teams than anybody. I mean, and you see him run people down. Those plays don't happen in uh, in practice. I mean, you just don't get to run somebody down the way he did, you know, with a kid at Arizona on the punt return. I mean, he's just amazing. Uh, he does a lot of things. He's like a rangier Dion Bailey uh, with that kind of, you know, hybrid guy playing in in, uh, in space. The, the problem is he's not exactly a pass defender. So in terms of being a safety, that that's not exactly a role. But like you said, against Boston College, he would have probably been ideal, you know, as a uh, you know safety or kind of a hybrid spot. Uh, if if all he had to do was track the quarterback down, I mean, maybe in the UCLA game, uh, you know, he'd be somebody you could spy Brad Hundley with. So I don't think he's as down as far as as, as you might think. Uh, you know, whatever the chart says. I mean, they know he. They now understand. I think his value. Uh, they probably need to maybe see things a little differently in terms of how they want to structure things. I mean, they've done it with Sua, and uh, they've been pretty good at like, getting Plattenberg on the field, who had eight tackles the other night. Uh, so uh, I think they they just didn't visualize exactly what Quentin, who uh, you know, who some of us you know saw what he could do. I don't think they saw that. It didn't jump out at them right away. And it's getting there. I mean, it's, it's, they're starting to understand it. But, uh, you know, it was a kind of a blip on the, you know, on the screen this year where he was the one that, that kind of maybe got, uh, got lost in the shuffle just a little bit. All right. Uh, thanks for that question there. Let's see. Um, we had a, a long voicemail. I played one of the questions for uh, Coach Hyde. But Chris had a, a long call. We weren't going to play the whole thing because it was a little long. But his second part of his question was about, um, the game experience, and he wanted to get our thoughts on that. He didn't really like the outside atmosphere around the Coliseum. He said it was too much of a corporate feel, and he didn't feel it was kid-friendly. I guess there's a lot of sponsored tailgates and things like that. Uh, he does like the big scoreboard, but he doesn't like the way the operation, he called it lame, the way it's being operated. He says too loud, and we, we can definitely attest to that in the press box. It's hard to hear anything because the speakers seem to come right into the press box. And he wasn't really happy with the content there. Um, he also doesn't like the field suites. And those Audi boxes that are up there, he thought it degraded. You know, it 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 was it didn't help the look and feel of of the Coliseum. And he wanted to know how a common guy like him could participate in letting people know. And he wanted to know if we talked to to Pat Hayden about stuff like that. So that was Chris. Uh, he's not real happy with the game day experience. I know that's something that USC's been working on, but he's not happy with it. Yeah, I, I you know if you read what we said uh, as we got into this year, uh, Chris could have uh, cribbed some of our notes from, uh, you know, preseason scrimmages and what have you. We saw it developing. Uh, not crazy about it. It looks uh, 
looks thrown together. It doesn't look like the Coliseum. Uh, it also, I agree with you that it does look like there are too many little uh, places just staked out for people around the Coliseum that you don't get that good feel of the Coliseum. Uh, and, you know, it's like, okay, you got to be very corporate to be part of this or part of that or whatever. Uh, I think it looks like they're pushing it awfully hard. I understand, you know, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that they've got to raise to, um, you know, to get, get the Coliseum where you want, want the Coliseum to go. But I don't know if you're doing any favors with, uh, you know, the like the field suites. It's just take away from the Coliseum. I mean, really take away from it. I mean, I think there are some things that, you know, that I've seen that, that could really, you know, make the place look good. Whether we get to that point in a, in a couple of years or not, I don't know. But, uh, uh, Chris, I think just, you know, post and talk about it and get, get people talking about it. Uh, people are talking about it. Uh, and, um, you know, say say what you're thinking. Uh, I know they they did that you know survey uh, where they they really surveyed an awful lot of fans. Don't know uh, we haven't seen any of the results yet, and I'm, I'd be interested in, in you know when those uh, finally get put together if we're gonna you know get a chance to see them. But I do think uh, they need feedback, and I would you know I'd send it to everybody you know you can send it to. I, mean, I think what you, your feedback right there was really good. And uh, a lot of people w- would agree with you, and uh, so I wouldn't uh, wouldn't hesitate to send that around as many people as you can, post it on the board, and get everybody talking about it. But uh, that's a good job. All right, uh, let's go. Frank Perez in Orlando, uh, all the way across the country. He said, "Great game last night. Uh, I didn't have to drink during the fourth quarter, so congratulations, Frank. Or that's good. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing for you, but you didn't have to. That's good. Uh, I've read several articles." And the TV announcers of last night's game mentioned that Trey Madden and Lamar Dawson are getting redshirted. Are they getting a medical redshirt? And what's going on with Josh Shaw? Is he getting redshirted or are his playing days done? And then what about Victor Blackwell? It looks like he was dismissed from the team before he was arrested. So Frank's got some questions about some of these guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think we've had a final answer. They were meeting with uh, Trey's parents. Uh, I think they're certainly looking at, at, at you know, Trey and Lamar coming back next year. Lamar has a red shirt, so that would be his fifth year. Maybe Trey's, uh, you know, fifth year as well, uh, and he would be able to do that. And he wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a red shirt now uh, because he's already had his red shirt year. So uh, what it would be would be. If you decided for Trey to come back two more years and use up his four years of eligibility in six years, then you could apply for that. But I don't think uh, people should, you know, be saying he's going to, you know, take a red shirt, medical red shirt year. No, he's not. He's just going to miss this year, and he'll have another year uh, for sure uh, next year. I wouldn't look for him to come back a sixth year anyway. So I'm not sure that you know it, it really applies with uh, with Trey, but that certainly looks like the way it's going to go for Trey and Lamar, and you know that's a big uh, you're going to have to replace um, uh, you know Hayes Pillard next year, and that gives Lamar a chance to you know get back in there in the middle, and uh, you know he'll be a you know probably a bigger, stronger, certainly a wiser wiser guy, and a chance to really step in and 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 have an impact. Uh, Trey, man. 
running behind what looks like it's going to be a really big, powerful offensive line that'll have plenty of experience by next year would be a pretty difficult. I mean, that's a, you know, that's the kind of uh, situation Stanford, you know, and Alabama would hope for. I mean, so yeah, see, we talked about cutting back plays, uh, numbers and, and, you know, up tempo, uh, that, that team that looks like it could be shaping up for next year for USC could really be, uh, you know, a team that isn't going to worry about tempo. They're just going to try to, you know, run, you know, pound you into the ground. Uh, as far as Victor Blackwell, that's how we were told that uh, that he was dismissed the Monday after missing basically four weeks and, and not being, you know, in contact with the coaches or anything else, um, that he was dismissed the Monday before he was arrested on Wednesday. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't told that until Thursday, the day after he was arrested. So, you know, it, it, it inspires some uh, conspiracy theories there that, uh, that that was the case uh, in terms of the Victor Blackwell. And let's see, is there, was there another one, Ryan? Do we have four that he was asking about? Yeah, uh, Blackwell, Shaw, uh, Trey Madden. Oh, Shaw, and Shaw, Shaw, Shaw. Uh, I actually heard Saturday from some people on the inside that maybe there is a chance that, that Josh – might come back. I mean, I certainly am hearing from people that there doesn't seem to be a kind of uh, legal issue that would really make USC be very, very hesitant. Now, uh, how you prove that there's nothing going to ever, ever come up or whatever, I don't know how you do that. Uh, One would think that USC would do everything it could as much as, you know, this was on Josh as much as it was, but it was also on USC a little bit. They did not need to put that story out. I know they, they caved in and they were afraid we were going to see him in his wheelchair with his sprained ankles and asking what was going on. And he might tell us what he told us, but, um, uh, you know, USC contributed to that story being that story. And so, you know, if it were me, I think USC owes Josh uh, the chance to get him uh, back if it's all possible. So I don't know how much longer you can go. If you can't do it this week, they seem to be difficult to be able to get it done. We've heard that, you know, if the athletic department doesn't uh, make a move on it, maybe above the athletic department, someone else still might be able to make that move. We'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, from, from what I can tell, I think I would make the move from everything I know. I don't know that I you know, haven't sat down with Josh. We don't know all of the things we know. You know, Steve Sarkeesian says that he's done everything he could possibly do to get himself back. What, whether that's true or not, we don't know. And we're, we're not going to be told a whole lot more, I don't think, other than either he's absolutely not coming back or he is coming back. Um, all right. Well, Dan, we have a question. This was actually from a couple weeks ago about one of the columns you wrote, and I we just had so many game questions and not as many this week because it was you know, a blowout win. But I wanted, So I wanted to kind of share this one from Earl in West L.A., uh, he's heard on the podcast and read the details in Dan Weber's column. And 
you know, about the say it isn't so stuff. Though he's talking about all five remaining conference opponents have a bye week before their game with the Trojans and thus more time to prepare than does USC. The facts clearly suggest there's no coincidence and no other team in the North or South has the same scheduling issue. On one level, I can see the conference brain trust doing this in a way of leveling the playing field to make the games more competitive for television to help maintain the TV revenue USC provides for the conference. On the other hand, I think it it's more likely they're tired of USC being the face of the conference and will go to any lengths to change that. What do you think, Earl and West LA? And we've, we've seen a few, you know, the last few weeks USC's played a team uh, that had more time to prepare for them. So. Yeah, I mean, basically all five do. So, uh, uh, you know, I asked Larry Scott directly. He didn't even know about it. Uh, he said, sounds kind of fluky. And you can justify it in a way because uh, it's not going to happen next year. It didn't happen last year. But to have it happen that way this year is really weird. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, could it be there are some scheduling you know, difficulties in the way that uh, USC and Stanford, for example, both play Notre Dame and the way that those games switch around in the schedule from uh, middle of the year when they go to Notre Dame to the end of the year when Notre Dame comes to California. So, you know, you've got some, you know, kind of weird little things. Uh, USC's uh, every year, USC basically plays the first conference game every year. I mean, it's it's uh, it's just kind of automatic that you know this year it was Stanford the second week and I think uh, every year though I've covered them since they've gone to you know the 12 teams that USC's played the first conference game uh, so uh, you know is it just one of those things that happens because you've got to play all four California schools uh, and uh, and you've got to accommodate the Notre Dame game in two different places every other year. I kind of think that's the case. What I didn't like was that nobody knew about it. And nobody <laughs> realized it. You know, it's like, really? Well, no one All said they realized it. All five of their Southern opponents are, you know, are, they have the Saturday. I mean, not a single one of them plays the Saturday before they play USC. That's ridiculous, I think. I mean, that's just, I mean, not one. All five of them are off the Saturday before they play USC. Now, some of that is they've gone more to the Thursday games. So three of those teams have the Thursday game. So that gives them the automatic two extra days, uh, essentially, because you, you, you got to give them uh, – they can't play you know, that week. They can't play the week before. They can't play that week. And so they get essentially nine days if they play the Thursday game. And USC got three of the teams that had Thursday games. And then they got two more, UCLA and Colorado, that had the bye and had two weeks off. So uh, – I don't know. I, I think at least it won't happen again when nobody notices. If it happens again, people will notice. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe they'll say, okay, we got to do something about this. Now, they tell me because of the Notre Dame game next year, uh, USC, uh, excuse me, Arizona has to play 12 straight weeks with no buy. And they're not very happy about it. So it, it probably impacts different people differently. But, um, but you know, so I don't know. I would have thought a few years ago, uh, before the sanctions, the uh, Pac-12 might have been getting a little nervous about being the Pac-1 and you know the other 11, uh, the way USC was going. I'm not sure that's the case now, but 
I'm guessing that if uh, we heard, for example, and the information that's come out from Tony Carandi resigning as the head of the Pac-12 officials, and Mike Perara, who is the Fox uh, officiating guru, a former NFL guy, and the guy that the uh, the, uh, Pac-12 hired to set up their officiating, and he pulled Tony Carandi, uh, the NFL official and the L.A. guy, uh, in to take care of the, the officiating until he resigned uh, a week and a half ago. But what Mike Pryor said was that Tony Carani was upset with all the complaining he was getting from conference schools and how they were going around the officials and going to the top administrators in the Pac-12. And he singled out uh, Stanford and Oregon as the two biggest uh, uh, offenders and the two biggest complainers. And one would think that, as I asked Sark last week, why aren't you one of the big complainers? I mean, what happened to USC deserves complaining. And evidently, USC isn't one of the big complainers, but uh, at least uh, you would think that USC's probably got to start thinking about uh, making it really clear they're not going to take this kind of thing as a regular way. I mean, I, I would guess more than half the uh, coaches and players that have been disciplined, you know, suspended, called out, fined, whatever. I would think of it in a 12-team conference, USC's got probably 50% of the uh, people who have been singled out by the Pac-12 in the last four years. And that's that's ridiculous. It's just, it's just a joke uh, when you look at it. I mean, Matt Barkley, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's embarrassing, you know? And, of course, who were the uh, so-called underinflated footballs? You know, what game was that? Oh, that was the Oregon game. Oh, that made it terrible. Oh, my gosh, let's just go nuts uh, on something that some manager probably been doing for years and, and make it out like it's, you know, you know some, uh, you know, uh, some plot. Oh, well. Well, well, yeah, we'll see. End of rant. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of rants, we had one. This is another one that's been kind of sitting in the – uh, my inbox here for a while. I wanted to, we could end on this one. Troy 75. Um, it was a, a Todd McNair one. And, and since you know the podcast has been so busy, we haven't got time to get to it, but he said, with the decision of the appellate court looming, do you have any insight as to whether Todd McNair has a strong desire for vindication or he'll be happy to pocket a night pocket, a nice monetary set uh, settlement uh, from the NCAA. And uh, he'd want to know, like if, you know, assuming the NCAA's appeal is denied, do you think USC uh, would be a position to demand copies of the emails supporting McNair's case. So I just kind of wanted to get an update um, on what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think vindication is very high uh, on on his Todd's list of priorities, and, and rightly so. I mean, what they've done to him is unconscionable. And uh, you know, from the day one, he you know, was saying that you know, they just they picked him out, they needed somebody, and they decided you know going to sacrifice him, and they deserve. Everything that happens to the NCAA, and let's hope there's no hail mary against the, you know, that the NCAA uh, is able to complete, it, you know, with the court system in California. Uh, so I don't know that even if they agree to settle, uh, I, I'm I'm betting that the uh, these emails are going to come out. Now again, that's if that's 20 percent of the you know, discovery that could be really negative to the NCAA, uh, maybe. 
then maybe that's all you're going to get. But that'll be enough, I think. But if they go to trial and they get, you know, full discovery, uh, that's great. Now, the NCAA wants to stall, but I don't know if they want to stall all the way to trial because it would be unbelievably ugly. If I'm the NCAA right now, I'm thinking we better all be gone before this thing goes to trial. Uh, and I'm thinking some of those people on the Committee on Infractions, you know, they're still going to be, you know, law professors or whatever they are, and they're still going to have to, you know, go along with this and and tell people why they did what they did, and I don't think they're going to want to do that. So so if you had to guess, you think, you know, that the emails will come out, you think that um, maybe down the road the NCA settles. I don't think money's that big a deal to them. They've got plenty of it. Uh, and I think that would be more important to them than their reputation. And uh, if they could do it in a way where they act like, uh, you know, oh, they were they were right, but the uh, going to court in California was too too difficult. And, and they, you know, they know what they did, and they know Todd McNair, you know, has no culpability whatsoever. They know they ruined, you know, somebody's uh, life and career, and uh, they don't care. I mean, this is what this is what they are. This is who those people are, and that's it's kind of a shame. But they don't want you to know that. Uh, so, so I, I think that's where it is. Uh, you would think that, that the court hopefully makes the right decision. In California, tradition is not to hide this stuff. It's certainly not to hide anything based on it's going to be uh, embarrassing to the NCA. What is it? What do they care about? whether the NCA is embarrassed about it. Judge Schaller, in his first ruling, said it absolutely should come out, and it absolutely is not a good reason to say we don't want to get embarrassed, basically. Uh, so so I'm, I'm relatively optimistic that, uh, that we're going to get to see some of that, and I'm relatively optimistic that Todd's going to come out of this uh, vindicated as much as possible. And I'm also relatively confident that USC is not going to do anything to take advantage of anything that comes out in this case. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, this is the kind of material that if Penn State had it, they'd own the NCAA or UCLA or Oregon or whoever or Ohio State or Miami. If they had, you know, this kind of material available to them, they couldn't wait to get their hands on it. And the problem you got with USC is they probably made a lot of bad decisions as to what to do in this case. Yeah. And the more this material comes out, the more people say, wait a minute, you did what? <laughs> and they don't want you saying that. So, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but if USC had a vote, whether that stuff comes out or not, I don't know if USC really wants it to come out because – it isn't probably going to look that good for USC, unfortunately. Although, you know, for me, I would try to be ahead of the, you know, you, I would be using this as negotiating a, a tool with the NCA saying, if this comes out, what we hear is going to come out, we're really coming after you. Yeah. Now, if you want to make a deal with us now, we'll, we'll say, for example, we won't sue you for money. We won't sue you for monetary damages. But if you make us wait, and we find out that you're lying to us, and you set us up, 
and you you caused us, you know, now I know I had a disagreement with Pat. He said he didn't think you could prove economic damages. I think you absolutely can. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. But I think you can prove economic damages with what the NCA has done to USC. Uh, but I think I would certainly use that as a negotiating tool to say to the NCA, we want the scholarships back immediately, want them all. We want to be able to recruit as many players as we can this, this year to get up to 85. And whatever we need, we can do it. And we want all the records re- you know, returned to us, every bit of record. And we want somebody to intercede with the uh, the BCS and uh, and the Heisman committee. Uh, even for, you know, for let's face it, Reggie Bush probably somewhere in the middle took every Heisman Trophy winner in history. Where would Reggie Bush fall in terms of uh, amateurism on the amateurism scale? Probably be in the middle somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jameis Winston. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, what what is it, 2,000 sequentially um, uh, autographed uh, memorabilia that uh, have gone on sale on the on the one guy's website now? Gee, it must have been a, just an accident that they got all those 2,000 just lined up one right row. after the other. <laughs> All right. Well, with his autograph on it. Anyway, uh, yeah. Let's say that was Reggie Bush's autograph. That would have probably been a thousand years and and four thousand scholarships. I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> that the way that NCAA is going, that 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 would be about the scale there. Um, all right, Dan. Well, we wanted to. Uh, we didn't mean to go off on a couple of rants there, but we had to get. We wanted to get those questions in since it was kind of a slower week as far as football questions, because it was the Colorado game, of course. But thanks again for coming on well, the show. It's, it's interesting. If they'd have you know, been close, we'd have had everybody talking about it. Yes. It, 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 people want to talk about the negative stuff, and, uh, you know, that's just the way things are. Uh, very little uh, commentary. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna just, this is my last rant, is uh, – one of the few things that the posters, many of them seem to agree on, is after the game last night, is that Cody's still not good enough <laughs> to be the quarterback on this team. It's like, what? I mean, it's amazing. It's just, it's it's, it's mind-boggling. It's just, you, you don't even know what to say. Yeah. I and mean, you just think, wow, that's what you got out of the game? Seven touchdowns, not enough. Um, all right. Okay. Well, Dan, we'll, we'll save it all for next week. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Well, it was a lot of fun. And thanks for uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in. And we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 